You are listening to the Mind Mental Health Podcast. We are a group of students at the University of North Texas Health Science Center who are passionate about mental health issues and fighting stigmas. The aim of this podcast is to educate our listeners on mental health and tell our experiences with honesty. We encourage you to consider only what feels best to you and to consult with your medical professional and or support team before doing anything that might jeopardize your physical, emotional, spiritual, or mental health. Some episodes may trigger an adverse reaction. If an episode is beginning to upset you, I advise that you please pause immediately and talk to your support team. With that being said, welcome to the Mind Mental Health Podcast. Let's dive in. Do you feel like your work must be 100% perfect 100% of the time? Do you get stressed when you're not working and find downtime completely wasteful? Were you told frequently as a child that you were the smart one in your family or peer group? Do you frame requests in terms of the requirements of the project rather than your needs as a person? Do you shy away from applying to job postings unless you meet every single educational requirement? If any of these sounded like yourself, you're not alone. These questions each refer to various subtypes of imposter syndrome, a standard issue faced by those in various pre-health and health fields. These subtypes are outlined in an article by Melody J. Wilding detailed in the description box. In regards to wanting to help with recognition for imposter syndrome, an article in the Journal of Physician Assistant Education in 2007 recommends a three-point exercise to help recognize imposter syndrome traits. The first is having any issues with acknowledging positive feedback. So in wanting to look at if there is any sort of a case of imposter syndrome, when you get any sort of feedback, typically people aren't going to necessarily keep away from giving you positive feedback, but there's this focus on if there is any sort of a negative opinion that's given about you, you tend to stick on that more than the than the positives. I mean, I know that this is a problem that's come up with me all the time. Would you agree, Megan? Oh, definitely. I've... Definitely encountered, for example, someone saying, wow, you like this is a very thorough review or you really know what you're doing. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, uh, no, I don't think so. And just constantly believing that any positives that are provided is not as an account of your abilities as a person, but rather them thinking potentially even tricking them into thinking that it was not you, but them not seeing you for the for the bad person you are, at, at least mentally, just not feeling as if you're worthy of that positive praise you're receiving. So speaking of not feeling like you're worthy, another way of recognizing this is over-examining the messages that you receive about yourself from others. So this could be just comments that people make about you, whether they're compliments or they're critiques. You're basically overanalyzing them and almost making that comment your uh, understanding of your own proficiency. And it's sort of a feedback mechanism, honestly, and just wanting to feel like that negative is who you are and kind of if it's cutting out the positive aspect in the feedback loop of just, well, I do something. I'm going to think that I did it badly every time, no matter what other people are saying, and continue to uh, do it in the same way. It, e- it even promotes doing worse, even when you're actively working to improve. So one of the other symptoms that they mentioned was also visualizing yourself, telling your mentors and peers how you fooled them. So even though you're, you are receiving positive or constructive criticism, you're not acknowledging it for something that is actually beneficial. So you stop realizing, did something go right and did something go wrong in a healthy manner? Everything just seems like something that you did wrong the entire time. And honestly, it's a highly re- relatable feeling. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. That's one of the challenging parts of being in the field that we're in and being at the level of education that we're in in grad school, whether it be this, medical school, dental school, pharmacy school, 
you're around all of these very intelligent people. And so sometimes I feel myself getting caught up in, wow, these people are so smart and they're here. Do I deserve to be with them? And so I start feeling like, oh, yeah, I fooled the ad comms. I got in here. I sneaked in. I hope that someone doesn't find out, you know. I sometimes get in that mindset. It isn't necessarily exclusive to students either. It can be a matter of if you're working with your attendings as a resident, feeling that you are not doing the best you could do despite being in circumstances that press you to be in an optimal state of arousal at all times, having pushed everything that you've learned to the limit, potentially having to throw the book out in some cases to be able to be an effective doctor or a pharmacist, PA. And even this does isn't exclusive to just the pre-health field, but also in the actual uh, workforce as well. Absolutely. And it doesn't seem like it stops at a certain threshold of intelligence or this proficiency. For example, Maya Angelou and Albert Einstein, they're notorious for talking about feeling like imposters in their field. And here they are, incredible figures that we have in our lives. And so it's crazy that these people even experience this. In a 2016 study on imposter syndrome in American medical students, a quarter of male medical students and nearly half of female students experienced imposter syndrome and reported experiencing burnout components of exhaustion, cynicism, emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, social isolation, and academic difficulties. If you aren't sure that imposter syndrome is specifically what you're feeling, attached in the description is a link to the Clance IP scale, a 1985 self-assessment for imposter syndrome that does not diagnose, but give you an idea of knowing if several of the statements or claims that were made directly relate to you. Speaking of ways of recognizing imposter syndrome and trying to dial down to see if you experience it yourself, Yourself, it eventually starts building up and affecting you. So one of the effects is burnout. Statistically speaking, 50% of one class will experience burnout over the first four years of medical training. Like we've just discussed before, this doesn't stop in medical students, doctors, anything. Anyone can feel it. It's just basically burning yourself out, literally. This can include also additional conditions such as depression or even suicidal ideation. This is something that will be discussed more thoroughly in a later episode, but we wanted to bring this up as a reality of imposter syndrome as well. This isn't exclusive. Many people have other stressors that might lead them to depression for a lot of various reasons. But this is something that is included in that. And more than 20% will suffer from depression for those in medical school specifically within the first two years. And up to 11% of any single class will even have a suicidal ideation before they even reach the step one boards. So this also can extend, as we were talking about, in those who are providing patient care. Among practicing physicians, 46 to 80% reported moderate to high levels of emotional exhaustion. 22 to 93% reported moderate to high levels of depersonalization. And 16 to 79% reported how low to moderate levels of personal achievement with similar values among other care providers, whether it be nurses, PAs, PTs, or pharmacists. So all around the board, there's the symptoms that are being experienced by active care providers, even when they've already gone through all of those processes to get to where they were at the moment. Now that we've talked about the effects of imposter syndrome, let's talk about overcoming it. So according to Dr. Gail Singer-Chang, Uh, She's a senior executive director at the Office of Multidisciplinary Collaboration at Western University of Health Science. She basically breaks down five ways of overcoming imposter syndrome and kind of hitting it at certain points to lessen it. So the first way is celebrating wins of all sizes. 
whether it be a test or just understanding something, it's important to make small goals and appreciate them and not just boil yourself down on, oh, man, maybe I didn't do amazing on the second exam in this class and, and so on. How do you feel about that, Matt? Um, I feel that way for a lot of the little things that I tend to not be able to do. So it's easy to pick on the small failures that you probably that everybody tends to come across in life. But it's just as much everybody has small wins that tend to come up and get kind of tossed to the wayside and focus of the negatives. It tends to feel like a summation. We tend to feel like a summation of all of our failures instead of successes sometimes. So it can help to be actively focusing on the little things we've been doing right. Spending time with people can count. Spending time sitting down and actually studying, acknowledging that we put in that work and whether or not it went exactly as well as it could have, knowing that we still were there and able and committed the time to doing it, you know? Absolutely. So it also helps to acknowledge that as one of the other steps that was mentioned to create a support team. And that's not just a metaphorical thing. It's literally individuals in your life that you can go to to talk about some of these issues, whether it is people in in your life that are in a professional setting, whether it be like a therapist, whether you go to uh, a church or, or any of the sort of, sort of spiritual guidance, your parents, your friends. It's just having a, a place you can go to to discuss some of these issues or as well as discussing that, those feelings that you have that you feel comfortable discussing. It's a matter of just knowing. And for example, I honestly have had moments this week where I felt like I had nobody to talk to to bring up some of the uh, the concerns of just, do I belong here whatsoever? No matter how much I feel like I'm working, whether it's with people who are dealing with similar cases, do I feel like there are people that I can just openly talk to about how I'm feeling sometimes? And it's important to feel like there are those individuals you can go back to. How do you think about that, Megan? Oh, it's absolutely essential. And the thing about these is sometimes you need these different support systems and facets in your life. And so my significant other, he is not in the medical realm. And so sometimes I feel like I can't exactly talk to him about how I feel about being in this graduate program and how I feel like I don't belong. And so I feel like I need to talk to my peers about that because more than likely they feel the same way. And sometimes it's also helpful to talk to somebody who's out of the system to give you that objective, hey, you are doing a lot. Oh, exactly. And sometimes it like, just like you said, it's nice to get away. It's nice <laughs> to be like, okay, let's not talk about this for, for a minute. For at least a minute. Yeah. <laughs> it also helps as one of the other things mentioned was to talk back to your negative thoughts. So some, it's a little bit, e well quite easy to be stuck on the negatives that tend to come up in life. And it can be important to rationalize that there are reasons that those negative thoughts come up. So did I do enough work and thinking that you didn't? For example, if studying, were, did you actually put in the hours to study but feel like you didn't learn anything? Is there a reason for that? Or did you feel like you were not enough with the people you were around or not doing an effective job? Is there actually a reason for that that, that is occurring that can be addressed specifically? Or is that something that is just being thought of because you, you see other people you think might be doing better at the same time? It is important to actually sometimes literally logic these things through. That and sometimes it helps me if I stop and ask myself, would I be saying these negative things such as, oh, come on, why don't you understand this? Why aren't you getting this? Why aren't you studying enough? Or like, <laughs> I'm okay, yeah, I always ask myself that one. But <laughs> 
just the negative aspects of kind of putting yourself down, would you say that to your friend? And more than likely, at least I hope so, the answer would be no. And so don't tell these things to yourself. You need to be supportive to yourself. And just like trying to be positive and or at least realistic, it's important to also build a collection of positive memories and mementos. And so maybe ask yourself why you are here in the first place. What brought you to medicine? Maybe try to think of the good times that you've had uh, with your peers and and maybe times that you succeeded and you did well and you just really enjoyed yourself. It's kind of putting your mind in that positive mindset and also just trying to focus on the reason why you're there in the first place. It's pretty easy to forget. I've known quite a few people who've started medical school and after the first year, given its difficulties, have felt that they are feeling like they don't want to do this just because, and not out of any irrational feeling. It's just a lot of work to have to go through. And they get this compounded feeling of, should I be here at all if I'm feeling bad about how much work I'm doing? And that's not a problem. It's actually pretty standard to feel that way. But just that acknowledgement that there are, despite all of these, these difficulties, there's this reason that you were there in the first place, that you wanted to be there to do these things. And it's not just and those feelings of, you know, struggling with it is a result of how much is being done and not because of the letting go of that positive feeling you have about what about the field you wanted to go into, you know? Absolutely. And a way of combating that is by asking questions. Talk to the people around you. Even if it feels like you're all alone feeling this way, I guarantee that you're not. Talk around you. Speak to your peers. Speak to your friends in whatever program that you're in about it. And I'm sure they'll be able to understand to a certain extent, if not completely. I mean, we're all in this boat together. So another thing that uh, that was being brought up is how to help with preventing imposter syndrome. So one of the things that was mentioned was establishing a personal and professional identity for yourself in the setting that you were wanting to commit to. Exactly. So aside from just having your school self, it's also important to have your outside self, keep your hobbies, do what makes you happy. Um, but also just remember that this isn't all who you are. There's so much more about you. And while a lot of us hold a lot of identity in being a medical student or being a future doctor or healthcare provider, it's also important to remember that's not everything. There's other parts of your life, whether it be that you really like doing origami <laughs> or Yoga, exercise. Exactly. You're running or something like that. That's that's Art. part of it. And so don't let that go. It, it kind of connects into one of the uh, these other things is just checking your expectations of what you'd want to do for yourself and who you are as a professional. It's this feeling that you kind of let go of some of these or you might need to let go of other aspects of your life to be able to be successful in the more difficult areas of your life. And how much of that sacrifice isn't actually necessary and how much of it is that feeling of never being good enough that you're willing to start giving away other things that would be helping you in the first place. So, yes, understandably, there are circumstances that you'd have to give up your time, for example, when having to study a lot. But how much of that is also just the fact that you're feeling like everybody else is putting in all this, these hours to study, they're doing all these all-nighters, giving up all their hobbies, work, just sitting in the library all day and, and never considering their health sometimes. And how much of that is actually rational for wanting to make sure you commit to some of these high-strain, high-requirement uh, positions, whether it be a, whether in any pre-health field whatsoever. It's, you need to know whether it is something necessary to remove from your life and, or 
how high of a standard you're putting for yourself when committing to like going into graduate programs. Absolutely. So while you want to push yourself and really be efficient with your time and studying and really do all that you can, it's also important to take care of yourself. And like Matt said, have these expectations for yourself. And these aren't always going to be the same for others. So know yourself and also take care of yourself. This means self-care. This means drinking water instead of only coffee throughout the day. It it means getting maybe six hours of sleep instead of four. It, it just means... Get a drink every now and then. <laughs> exactly. It also means going out and having a good time after a test. It It basically just means... Literally, take care of yourself. Do something for yourself every once in a while. Whatever you felt like it would be helpful, whether it it doesn't have to necessarily be outdoorsy. It could also just be like talk to a friend, set a day to hang out, whether it's uh, doing something creative or or even something that makes you feel comfortable internally, whether it's just spending the day sleeping, spending the day playing video games, spending the day going uh, to your religious institution of choice. Whatever help would make you feel whole as a person as well, because it's t- it only leads to a negative feedback loop of you starting to feel like you're letting go of more things that helped keep you you while also continually feeling like nothing you're doing is good enough for whatever course that you're choosing to take. And that's just going to be self-destructive and contribute to those feelings of self-destruction that can lead to some of those symptoms mentioned earlier. Thank you for listening to the Mind Mental Health Podcast. Be sure to check out the episode notes for some resources we recommend. If you're out there and you're feeling stuck or feeling alone, you are not alone in this. Seeking help for your mental health is an important way of taking control of your life. And remember, it's okay not to be okay. Before we go, show some love by sharing this podcast with a friend and rating it on whatever platform you may be using. We look forward to sharing new content with you every second and fourth Wednesday of the month. Thanks again for listening.